Hello, lovely listeners. Uh, good to see that some of you are still tuning into this podcast, uh, even though I hadn't posted anything in quite a long time. Uh, I really appreciate everybody uh, who sits down to listen to my voice for uh, 30 plus minutes. Um, I really don't take it for granted. So thank you so much. And thank you so much also for joining me uh, this month again. Um, this topic uh, that I will talk about today is quite personal, um, very close to home, literally, because uh, as you may know, uh, my family is from Turkey. Um, we were not directly affected by the earthquakes, but uh, of course every, everything is interlinked and the country um, overall has been in a state of shock, I would say, for the past uh, almost two weeks now. Um, so yeah, still very personal. And I will try my best not to cry in this episode. We will see what happens. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been quite emotional. Um, so let's just get right into it. Uh, I've kind of prepared this episode uh, more than I did with my other episodes, I would say. And so I have divided everything into um, five sections in total. Uh, first, I will tell you guys, just in case you haven't, don't know what happened, uh, what exactly happened, uh, what is the aftermath exactly um, of the earthquakes. Um, and uh, yeah, then dive more into the situation specifically to Turkey, because there is a lot of layers to what happened and the consequences of what happened. Uh, I would I will also talk shortly about Syria. The problem, however, is that I don't have as much information uh, on Syria as I would like to. Uh, so if you are Syrian or if you know someone uh, who is Syrian and they would like to talk about this more in depth, like, please feel free to reach out to me. I would love to however small my platform is to give you this platform to talk about it more. Uh, I have more information about Turkey simply because I also have context to the situation, um, which is always different, right? I mean, like when you're an outsider, it's not, you, there's always things that you don't know or nuances you don't know. So yes, if you know anyone who would like to speak on this topic, uh, I'm more than happy to invite them on, on here and give them the platform and give them, um, yeah, whatever means they need to bring out the information there. Uh, the reporting also has been quite low on what happened in Syria. So um, yeah, I unfortunately, there is not as much information out there. Um, so yeah, again, if you know anyone, please reach out to me. I'll um, uh, add the, the, my email address for this podcast in the show notes. Uh, so you can reach out to me if you know anybody or if you are someone who would like to speak on this topic. Um, the fourth part will be my personal reflection uh, on all of these things. Um, so what happened, the reactions, um, yeah, the still, the unfolding of what is, well, that is still ongoing, um, all of that. And the last part is about how you can help. Uh, I will also link um, uh, all the places that you can donate to, etc., in the show notes as well. So please feel free uh, to check them out and please do donate to them. Spread the word. 
Um, but yeah, we will get there in a second. So let me start at the beginning. So on February 6th, uh, two very strong earthquakes hit two different cities in Turkey. The first one with a 7.8 magnitude occurred close to Gaziantep at 4 a.m. Um, and it struck, yeah, well, that part of Turkey as well as Western Syria. And the second one with a 7.7 magnitude occurred nine hours later close to Kahraman Maraş. Um, the geographical impact of the disaster is about uh, 85,000 square, uh, square kilometers. Uh, just to put that in perspective, that's about three times the size of Belgium or the entirety of Austria. Um, so far, the aftermath has been um, that more than uh, 80,000 buildings have been damaged or destroyed. More than 46,000 people have died. More than 14,000 have been injured and currently more than 2 million people are displaced. Uh, there have also been about 4,700 aftershocks, um, or one every four minutes, since the earthquakes struck last week. Um, and the World Health Organization has called this the worst natural disaster in the last 100 years. Um, I'm highlighting this part. I wanted to talk about this. I mean, I feel like everybody has heard about the earthquakes, more or less. But I see a lot of people uh, talking about one earthquake. Um, basically, like... Mm, there doesn't seem to be the full picture, which I will talk about later as well uh, in my personal notes. But um, yeah, this is what has been happening. Uh, the rescue efforts have been ongoing. Um, however, uh, most international help has left the areas. Um, but yeah, we will get into that later as well. But this is basically the overview of what has happened and what's going on. Um, well, I'm going to now talk about the situation in Turkey specifically. So there is a lot of anger and rage currently in the population. I mean, in the beginning, it was there was a lot of fear, um, uh, a lot of pain, which is also still there, um, a lot of shock. And I think now we have transitioned into this, like people are still in shock. People are still suffering. People are still hurt, but it's turning into anger, and the anger is very rightly placed where it is. Uh, the, dis the disaster response has been abysmal. It, w it has been really bad. I mean, um, local as well as international help arrived late, uh, missing the critical time window to save lives. I'm not, I mean, I, I am also criticizing international help, but actually, what I want to focus here in this section is the local um, efforts because it has been the the situation wasn't handled well by the government and that's the thing that people are mad about uh, if you have any knowledge of earthquakes at all you know that the first 24 hours are very uh, critical um, that's like the critical time window to save lives. Uh, the chances of people surviving the first 24 hours is 75% higher. After that, it keeps declining. Um, so a lot of people who could have been saved died, died under the rubble because of the timing issues. Um, so the fact that help arrived quite late, there is people reporting that they arrived 40 hours after they had wanted to because the government couldn't organize themselves well um 
which is really really frustrating um and then people also died because right now it's winter and it's f really freezing um so a lot of people also died unfortunately because of the weather conditions um on top of that people who had been rescued or people who had survived didn't have anywhere to go after the disaster there was no housing available for them and a lot of people had to spend the night sleeping outside which again it's cold there were not enough there are not blankets no heaters no electricity of course like there was nothing there to help people um yeah be be well <laughs> after what have happened um and this is particularly infuriating in the case of turkey because turkey is known to be an earthquake zone this is not something that we're not familiar with in the sense of i mean the strength like the magnitude of this these earthquakes were quite bad but it's again nothing new to turkey and experts have been warning about this type of earthquakes for years now it's, it doesn't come as a surprise um people know that it's something that's coming and that's also why the turkish government has been collecting earthquake taxes what they call it since uh two since 2000 uh after the last disastrous earthquake in 1999 so to give you a bit of context uh on the 17th of august 1999 a 7.6 magnitude earthquake hit in izmit killing about 18,000 people at the time after this incident the government decided to implement this earthquake tax um, uh, it was supposed to be a temporary measure, but then it became permanent. And so since 2000 until now, uh, the government has approximately raised about $38.2 billion in earthquake taxes. But <laughs> we don't really know what happened to these taxes. So, you know, originally the taxes were supposed to be used to make uh, buildings safer, to prepare them better for earthquakes. But we don't really know where these funds went. Also, it's quite uh, hard to measure how many billion dollars they have raised because of the, uh, uh, what is it? <laughs> because of the uh, exchange rate. Oh my God, my, my brain completely brain got. But it's about that amount, um, more or less um and so we don't okay so again these these taxes these funds were supposed to be used to make buildings safer um yeah to to prepare them for earthquakes to to renovate to make sure new buildings are safe to be able to have a disaster response when this happens as well um and yeah like i said we don't really know where these funds went all we know is that they were not used for their purpose uh, which means that I, they have been misplaced and misused. Uh, of course, Turkey has a lot of corruption. Uh, well, I'm saying, of course, um, it's because of the current government, but Turkey is currently in a state where there is a lot of corruption, um, unfortunately, and a lot of people are quite sure that uh, a lot of this money has went to personal benefits. Some people have also, they, you know, they misdirected these funds into the general government household funds, which means it was used for other things like agriculture. Um, so yeah, basically the government, you know, did not do what it was supposed to do. Um, in the response to the earthquakes, Erdogan did admit shortcomings, but he also claimed that it's not possible to be ready for a disaster like this and called those criticizing the government uh, dishonorable. 
uh, it goes as far as the state prosecutors having opened investigations against journalists and social media users who disagreed with the handling of the crisis. Uh, which is very ridiculous to me if we consider, again, the collected amount of money from the taxes that was supposed to use exactly for this type of stuff and what experts are saying. Like, in this day and age, we were able to make almost any house resistant to earthquakes. It's not something that is witchcraft anymore. Like, we have the technical solutions, we have the expertise, we have the experience and the materials to prevent this kind of, exactly this kind of disaster. The fact that the president is saying it's not possible is a hor is bad excuse. I mean, it's it's not even an excuse. It's just straight up lying um, because it's not true. Um, I'm not going to go into the technicalities of it. Um, there's a lot of research out there. A lot of experts are saying the same thing, but there's other countries that are earthquake zones who have managed to build uh, their buildings in a resist uh, in an earthquake resistant way and again we have the means uh, both material uh, uh, human <laughs> the human factor like we have experts we have architectures we have engineers like we have the means to do all of this uh, but the government just didn't do their job in yeah in preventing this kind of outcome so, unfortunately, there's whole family lines that have been distinguished because the government refused to take care of their population. They have neglected their duty to their citizens. We do know, we know that this happens because of bad construction. There was no control in architectural planning. There is failed enforcement of building codes and the defunding of earthquake measures. So, a lot of people have been calling this actually a murder or a massacre um, and I think rightfully so because again the government has refused to fulfill their duty to protect its, its citizens um, and they had the means to do that um, so yeah again very laughable of him to claim that this is something that couldn't have been prevented like of course we cannot control earthquakes itself but there were ways to prepare uh, and to make sure that the amounts, like the amount of lives lost is minimal to none. <laughs> like that's also possible. So um, yeah, just to highlight also how messed up the situation in Turkey is regarding, um, <laughs> like regarding the preparation for this kind of natural disaster. Building inspections. So the people who are supposed to uh, ensure that buildings are up to par with the earthquake uh, safety codes is done by private companies. Which means that if you are a construction company, uh, you can just start your own inspection company as well and then just inspect your own buildings and give yourself a go. <laughs> so this is, this is the level of ridiculousness that is going on right now um it's it's really bad i mean there yeah there's just no the problem is also that everything has it's been privatized and centralized so of course there is no there's no balance of forces nobody is holding anybody accountable um and which then of course leads to this horrible outcome on top of that uh the 
uh, AFAD, which is the uh, governmental organization for disaster relief, the official governmental organization for disaster relief, has um, be, has been known for its lack of expertise and competence, and has now proven also this during this crisis, which is absolutely was absolutely fatal to the people who had been stuck under the rubble. So when the earthquakes happened on the 6th of Feb, uh, IFAD had full control. So all NGOs and all other help organizations, whether it be local or international, they were supposed to report to AFAD to coordinate efforts, quote unquote. But all that AFAD did was cause delays um, because they were not organized enough to actually, like, yeah, <laughs> coordinate efforts. Like, they were not organized enough. There were people waiting, I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, 40 hours before they actually got to the, the earthquake zones, um, which, again, is, time is critical in this type of situation, and the the delays has killed people like it's on their hands that people have died under the rubble as well um the government is very nonchalant about the fact that they are uh they don't have their citizens uh, best interest in mind because um if you have seen any like other donation calls, most like there is one of them called Ahbab. It's an NGO as well in Turkey, and they collected a lot of money from donors from all over the world for its relief work in the earthquake zone. Um, and after they had done that, the Interior Minister uh, Soylu uh, threatened to do, I'm quoting here, what is necessary to those exploiting donations and trying to compete with the state. Can you im? Can Sorry, I need a moment. Okay, imagine your own people are dying. I mean, we know that the government doesn't care about its people. We have known that for a while, but so blatantly and openly and publicly proclaiming it is just another level of arrogance. I mean, you are threatening somebody who is helping not somebody, an organization that is literally helping the victims of this earthquake to survive. And like, wh what do you mean compete with the state? All they're doing is trying to help. That is not like the fact that, yeah, anyway, I, the power hungriness and the whole like, the trying to have this like image of power as well is just it's ridiculous i mean yeah honestly i mean i wasn't supposed to curse on this but fuck the state honestly they have been the situation like objectively has been so bad i mean like the government just didn't do their job and they're continuing to not do their job and they are also on top of that the fact i mean if you're incompetent, that's something to be furious about. But on top of that, you are actively hindering people from helping. Uh, like people who are competent and could help, you're still blocking them because of your own fucking ego. That is ridiculous. And it just, it's so blatantly 
ignorant and arrogant. Oh, I, I can't and can't. And it makes me so furious because uh, people, I mean, you, I, if you have Turkish friends or if you know anything about Turkish politics, you know that Turkey has been split uh, quite deeply. Like we have a very big split in the population between two parties. And the current ruling party, the AKP, has a lot of supporters. But that's that's the thing that is so infuriating because I have been talking to people about the disasters, of course, because it affects us all. Like everybody knows somebody who is from there. Everybody knows somebody who lost someone, unfortunately, in this in, in this disasters. Um, but still, people refuse to see that the government is not competent and doesn't care about its citizens like i have talked to people just last week about like the upcoming elections um which again that was my fault i should not have done open that conversation but there there's people who defend the akp with all of their heart and i'm like you like people who have family in that region were still like no i'm still gonna vote for them again because you know i feel like the other parties are even less competent and i'm i I get that it's hard to, you know, like change someone's political mindset. There's a lot of research done on this as well, but it's just, it it's so shocking to me that there can be so much pain and anger and hurt. And it's clearly like somebody's responsible. Like we know that this is their responsibility. They have failed for 20 years now, I mean, uh, well, the taxes came in, well, almost, well, yeah, 20 years, 2003, the AKP came into power. So for 20 years, they have failed their citizens. For 20 years, people have died, like tens of thousands of people have died because they didn't do their jobs right. And still, you're going to defend them. This is something that has been really, like, difficult for turkey and turkey's politics and citizens because there seems to be a disconnect as to it's all like it's very ideological it's all very like out of principle instead of actually considering what is best for the country um and for oneself even like for oneself like you <laughs> you know that they're stealing your money uh and you're still gonna vote for them like it's just, I don't know, to me, it's, I mean, it, it is to a degree, I think also ignorance, because, you know, ignorance is bliss. I think it's also to some degree self-hate, um, and also to some, I mean, Turkey's politics have been very complicated. I'm sure that I will make an episode about it this year due to the elections coming up at some point um hopefully <laughs> um so you know there's more to dive into there's also social um yeah other implications uh social political economical implications that are very nuanced and very complicated like if you're not turkish i think it's very hard to know about these things but yeah it's it's i know it's complicated but it's just very heartbreaking when the government fails its people over and over and over again and the people are still voting for this horrible party that has proven nothing but useless 
uh especially the last few years i mean it's wow anyway so <laughs> just i mean to go back to my actual show notes um just again to put it into perspective, uh, perspective the uh governmental organization for disaster relief they only reached the capital of hatay 24 hours after the actual earthquakes happened which again after we have established this in the beginning the first 24 hours are the most critical you can yeah it's it's horrible um i think we also have to i'm not gonna dive too deep into it because again this could be a whole podcast like episode by itself but uh, we have to also consider that there is definitely an ethnic slash racial aspect to this disaster in Turkey because the region where the earthquakes happened uh, is mostly populated by ethnic minorities such as Kurds and Alevis. Um, I don't know if, like it's hard for me to say if the government's response was delayed also because of that. Uh, because they don't like ethnic minorities. Um, well, I said ethnic slash racial. I don't know if racial is the right word. Definitely ethnic minorities. Um, yeah, because they don't care about them. Um, like, quite frankly, they do not. Um, so I don't know if that was part of the reason the response has been so abysmal. Uh, but I think it's something that we should keep in mind because, yeah, the government has been very oppressive to these ethnic minorities for a very long time and i mean like since the beginning of the states like since the founding of the democratic republic of turkey um it has been very hard for these ethnic minorities and uh for the ethnic minorities in turkey and uh i think uh, the fact that the earthquakes hit in in that region were mostly ethnic minorities um, are um, located has played you know has played into the government's hands in a way i think it has relieved them of some responsibility in a sense uh which sounds weird but i i do think genuinely like the response would have been very different if it had been for example, Ankara or Izmir or Istanbul. So, yeah, I think this is something that we shouldn't forget. Um, yeah, again, this could be a whole podcast episode as well, but uh, they are also citizens of the state, you know? And it is your responsibility as the government to take care of them as well. And that's why the government only cares about people that are the way that they want them to be, right? Um, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, it's... I Like, I'm laughing sometimes, but it's because I'm so in shock and angry that there's nothing else I can do than to, like, let it out like this, but... Um, yeah, I hope that everybody in the region that is on the grounds, uh, may God give them patience. I hope that the aid that has come through has actually reached the people who need it the most. 
I hope that people have some sense of safety and some they have enough yeah enough food and shelter to you know be able to start processing what has happened and I hope that people become more empathetic towards again specifically saying this because it is a region populated mostly by ethnic minorities people become more empathetic towards um yeah each other <sighs> yeah like again i don't want to spread like conspiracy theories or anything I, there's no proof that you know the government's response has been so bad because it's in that region but again i think it's something that we should keep in mind also going forward because um the region will be suffering for months, if not years, uh, from the aftershocks of this disaster. Um, there will be very real uh, economic and social consequences to a region that has already had suffered a lot uh, economically and socially due to the political situation. Um, so it's really something that we have to keep in mind going forward um, to be able to help and support as best as we can <sighs> okay so going over to the situation in syria like i said before uh, unfortunately there's not that much reporting on what is going on in syria what the situation is etc um, and i don't really have the contextual um, knowledge to say as much but i'm I gathered some information. So although the epicenter of the earthquakes was in Turkey, the uh, north and western Syria were also affected by the earthquakes. Um, that area, if you know anything about Syrian politics, is a rebel area with a high amount of refugees that has uh, little resources and also not the same capacities, um, like infrastructural capacities as in Turkey, although the infrastructural capacities in Turkey have also been horrible, but it's even worse um, there. And it's also important to note that following the earthquake, a dam, the earthquakes, a dam collapsed in northwestern Syria, causing the overflow of the uh, Orontes River. Um, and the flood led to the displacements of people from the village of Altul in the Idlib governorate. Uh, approximately 7,000 people were evacuate, uh, evacuated and uh, 1,000 houses flooded across the nearby villages. Um, so, you know, the situation is not getting better. And getting help to Syria has been complicated because of this ongoing civil war, um, the division of the territory in, in, in Northwest and the bad relationships with the president and many Western nations. So a lot of people have been like, a lot of international help has been saying that because of the infrastructural problems, they have had trouble reaching Syria, which I can understand to a good degree, but I'm also like, well, that kind of sounds like an excuse to me because you have the machinery, like you have helicopters and planes and whatnot. Right, like I get that it's maybe harder, but it, it took so much longer to like 
get anyone like any kind of equipment or anything to Syria which left people like digging people up with their bare hands I mean in Turkey as well like I said before the the disaster relief you know people because people were not getting there within the first 24 hours people were also digging out victims from under rubble with their bare hands people were relying on um, you know their own machinery like just local machinery but in Syria like it took even longer for people to get there like any because uh, the only like local response uh, force that they were able to rely on was the white helmets um, which is who are still like limited in the capacity that they have and then because international aid was coming so late it like left people under the rubble much longer people were really just you know trying with everything they could to get people out um but i think like the first un like um cranes that arrived were like almost a week after the earthquakes happened which is way too late for a earthquake response um so yeah it, i i can understand that to some degree it is more complicated but at the same time i'm like this is a, a this is a disaster where people need to act quick and the West has the resources to get there. Even if it's more difficult, it shouldn't take almost a week for you to be able to give give these resources to the people at least, um, to the local people to be able to help. Um, so yeah, uh, unfortunately this is all I know about the situation in Syria. Again, if you know somebody uh, or if you yourself is somebody who who has more information on this, who give, can give more information, please do reach out to me. Again, I will link the email of this podcast in my in the show notes. Uh, more than happy to have you here and talk about the the issue uh, at hand. Uh, again, also here, I hope may God give them strength and patience. I hope that here as well there will be for months, again, if not years the consequences of this is is gonna affect people really really it's gonna hit them very hard and they they need our long-term support um yes so before we go into like how can we help from a from here like from afar what can we do i wanted to kind of talk about how these earthquakes have affected me personally i mean apart from the from the pain and the shock and the the processing that has been happening there is a few things that i wanted to say regarding this um it's kind of alienating to be someone who's from the middle east originally living in europe <laughs> because whenever things happen or unfold in in this region the reporting is very i don't want to say bad but because it depends but it's it's not well done in my opinion and i have to i was just talking about this with a friend like i feel like this event specifically has radicalized me in a new way specifically in regards to how reporting is done around natural or other made like human-made disasters um, 
in the in the Middle East specifically. I'm sure this also applies to other places, but I think um, yeah, there is something weird about the way that journalists focus so much on the destruction and the suffering of people who are there. I get why this is done, but I don't necessarily agree with it. And we had this like we had these discussions before. I remember when George Floyd was murdered, uh, when the uh, blast uh, happened at the port in Beirut. There were people saying like, "Don't share these images. Like it is it is traumatic. It is upsetting. There's no need for you to share um, people's suffering." Uh, people's trauma in this way repeatedly to like talk about what happened right and back then I was like well yeah that's true and it, it kind of like got me started to think about what I post what I repost and stuff like that um, I, I kind of understood where people were coming from I also kind of understand that like you know part of the reporting is to show what has happened however uh, I have to say again like that <laughs> This event itself really like made me think about it in a in a different way, and uh, I have actually not shared any images. I think up until today of the destruction that has happened, um, and specifically not showing people crying over dead bodies people crying over the rubbles trying to find their their loved ones their family their friends uh, because I don't think it's right for us to you know <laughs> you quote-unquote document these moments and then put them out there as journalism I don't think that that is necessarily journalism. I mean, like, fight me on this if you want. Like, I, you know, we can agree to disagree, it's fine, but I just don't understand what the journalistic value is of sho shoving suffering into our faces in this way, making people relive the trauma in this way. Like, we're exploiting, it feels very exploitative, like, exploiting the cries and the wails of those having lost everything i don't understand why from a journalistic point of view that is necessary i think so what happened like the reason i started thinking about this is because of course i wanted to stay up to date with what's, what's happening right so i was like let me listen to the news so i opened up the daily news which is a podcast published by the new york times and i listened to, i started listening to their episodes titled The Deadly Earthquake in Turkey and Syria, which again, wrong title because it was two earthquakes, but anyway. Um, but the entire episode, I mean, I didn't listen, I couldn't listen to the entire episode. I had to stop midway through because the way that the episode was structured was that this journalist was just talking to people who had lost loved ones in the earthquakes and just being like, you know, like, oh, poor you, oh, I'm so sorry, and, like, the most fake pity voice possible. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that this reporter didn't genuinely feel sorry for these people. It was just very weird. The way that she talked to them, 
was very dehumanizing in my in my opinion it was uh it wasn't nice it wasn't nice that they that she made them recount who they have lost how they have lost them you know people recording them through their breakdowns making them answer very difficult questions um after when they're still like in a traumatic shock um yeah i don't understand why that is necessary you know it feels very much like we're they like why do we need to see suffering to care do you know what i mean i feel like there is this like oh unless we show how miserable the people are feeling and how like traumatized they are and how much they're suffering like yeah like how horrible they have it the 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 people will not care and even when people do show that there are still people who do not care right so there will always be some sort of indifference uh from the people who live far away from whatever has happened uh i think especially i mean again this can also be a whole podcast episode the middle east is a very geographically special case i would say like from the point of view from the west because things that have happened in the middle east have always been kind of like reported in a very and again alienating and dehumanizing way like things are not taken as seriously um uh it's not very like people are not seen as humans they're not treated as humans and so that's also a layer of it i think for me personally which has again brought me to this like conclusion but um yeah the fact that you need to see that you need to show you don't need to show people who are you know crying and being hysterical rightfully so um you know who have just lost everything just to make to have like journalistic content you don't need to do that if you if you have the need to do that then that means you're in my eyes from now on like that means you're a bad reporter because if you have to rely on like that kind of quote-unquote emotional hook um then i don't think you're doing your job right because i understand that we need to give these people also a voice i think i'm not i'm not saying you should cut off the victims completely from being able to speak to the press um but there is a very clear difference between giving victims of or survivors from a disaster the opportunity to speak for themselves and to like talk about what they want to talk about versus pushing a narrative onto them, exploiting the trauma uh, for, you know, clickbait. Um, it, there is a huge difference in to how to approach this topic and... Uh, yeah it's just upsetting in my opinion because yeah like i said it doesn't feel like the people are treated in a humane way um and i've also this is i think this has been a trend for me this this, the past year specifically because um i'm really into photography so i go to the world press photo um exhibition every year and this like the last time i went which was i think in october um i i went out of it and i i messaged my my girlfriend and i was like it was good but you know it's not yeah it's not 
I don't know, it felt weird at the same time because it felt like, okay, people are exploit. I mean, you're exploiting certain traumas of certain uh, communities and that's the only, like, well, or you're exposing the most vulnerable people uh, who are going through very bad things uh, in this way and then, like, you know, so that people outside of this world, specifically the West, the Northwest of the world, will care. And that was like a very weird realization for me. Um, like at least in the last photo exhibition, what they did is most of the people, like most of the photographers were from the communities. And you could see that when, when people photograph certain um, things, or like topics in their own communities, how much that changed the way that they photograph it versus people who are outside from these communities um, and how much more exploitative and it feels. And like, what is the word for that? Um, like very voyeuristic in a way, I would say. Um, I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, I mean, it felt very voyeuristic from that perspective. It's very like romanticizing the idea of like suffering in these regions. And it's, and I know it is because it, it gets people into their emotions, but I think that's a fucked up thing to do. Um, again, especially if you're not from the community and you're like exploiting the community's trauma in a, in a way, I don't think that's right. And this is how I also feel about the, um, journalistic approach with these kind of disasters. I'm really sick and tired of us having to be like, hey, look, like we are suffering, we're dying. Um, please, please like have empathy with us or please, please help us. Like it's really, isn't it enough that people tell you that it's bad and that people tell you like this is what happened we lost this and this many lives uh this and this many people are displaced like we need help why is that not enough why do you have to be why do you have to make a mother talk about the fact that her child died in her arms and here and like record her crying over the phone like that is not do you really need to do that or like and i'm not saying this because like Again, in general, I don't think, I think victim or survivors who want to talk about these things openly, like that's completely fine. But it's just the repeated, like, the repeated hammering in of the suffering that is really frustrating to me because it's like, it feels very, yeah, forced and exploitative and not contributing actually to any efforts you know to, to the situation to the people so yeah that that is the one thing that has been really frustrating for me and i'm trying again not to share any like any of those videos and to be honest our own news like in turkey at least they we're guilty of that too you know because they love to shove a camera into a crying mother's face i don't understand why it's like like, people fucking help them. Like, what are you doing? You know, like, it's not, 
is how is that helpful i don't understand how how does that do anything like everybody in turkey in the news in the turkish news outlet you do not have to show we're already all you know crying at home um trying to comprehend what what actually happened and trying to process what has happened what is about to happen all the things to come and then just the repeated yeah i don't know it's it's very it's it's i don't like it it's and yeah i have beef with journalists sometimes because of that but yeah anyway the other thing that you know like in in regards to um specifically the position of the the middle east uh, uh within the northwestern world that has been frustrating to this response is that i mean of course some people don't care and they never will and you know whatever like i'm not here to change their mind but what has been very discouraging is the blatant clear racism uh that has been that has been you know showing bubbling up even more in 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 light of these events like um i don't know if you heard but uh, germany um had uh there were two people two men who burned donations that were collected for the earthquake uh, survivors um things like that you know it's very discouraging i know not everybody is like this um but yeah also the whole like now in in there was this person who tweeted something along the lines of um even when we're dying under rubble and we're thousands of kilometers away they hate us um and that was in a response to a headline that was written in one of the one of the news outlets in germany which uh, was talking immediately started talking about um can germany take in more refugees um and uh or yeah something along those lines um let me actually double check the headline okay so it's a german headline of course but it it says can we really afford to take in more refugees and again this is obviously i mean this is not an isolated case which makes it even more sad but it also even if it was an isolated case it reflects the sentiment of the people towards people who need their help people who just went through one of their most like, traumatic experiences that they will have in their lives um like people are dying man like i just don't the fact that people have been so distant i mean like i you know again this is a very personal topic to me so for me maybe it is harder to understand that people are not don't feel affected by it at all but the like actively i can kind of to a degree understand if, if it's something that feels distant to you and you have a hard time caring because you know a lot of things are happening in the world at the same time like i get it it can be overwhelming um there is like constant suffering it feels like so that i understand but the active <laughs> The active hate, the active xenophobia, and the active hate towards people, that's the thing I don't understand. Because that is, I mean, I that's almost criminal to me because, like, where is your humanity? Where is your, like, there is not one ounce of empathy in that. 
And that's the, the fact that that sentiment exists in the first place is so disheartening. And yeah, very hard to process. There is a re I left Germany a while ago. I mean, it's been almost eight years um, since I left. And one of the reasons that I left is because I never felt welcome there because I was a first generation immigrant child. Um, but they, they, yeah, they had like Germany as a state and Germany as in its general population. Again, there's, of course, I'm not brushing everyone with one paint. There is people that I have formed long time friend, like long life friendships with, but as a general population and also uh, the institutional powers that I have witnessed as growing up there were always clear to me that they did not accept me. They didn't want me here. Well, there because I'm not there anymore, but um, and I just don't understand in the face of such a tragedy, how you can still be this hateful and spiteful. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just baffling to me. I mean, and this is what we call Eurocentricism, guys. Anyway, uh, that's a whole other topic as well. But <sighs> yeah, it's been difficult. It's been difficult navigating the space. Um, I'm very lucky that I'm surrounded by people who are mostly aware of these things, who have been active in uh, sharing these news in a in a constructive manner, um, and you know, keep who are being who are informed, who are engaged, who are sending their support, and who are showing up. Um, so I haven't felt it. I haven't felt the. the the hurt and disappointment from these two things that I just mentioned as much, but they're still there and they're still very much frustrating. So, um, yeah, anyway, this is just my two extra cents. Uh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, to wrap this up, as I said, um, the last part is me telling you how you can, well, or not telling you, but suggesting ways that you can help if you want to. Um, there are a lot of organizations in Turkey that you can donate to. Syria is a bit more complicated, unfortunately, but um, the White Helmets have been keeping up their efforts, so please do donate to them. I will link every organization that I know and that is trustworthy, according to my sources, um, in the show notes. Please check them out. Uh, if you hear otherwise, please do let me know so I can take it out. Or if you want me to add more resources, also let me know. Again, I will leave my the podcast email address in the show notes. So. Uh, please reach out if you know anything. Uh, it's always good to share resources, so please do. Uh, also continue sharing the news and resources, so when there's updates um, and objective news, then please do share them whenever you can. Um, and we also, please keep donating, please keep showing up. Um, consider organized uh, organizing your with some friends or with some student organizations to raise funds if you cannot donate yourself because as I said before there will be months of continued 
consequences of this disaster and the people really 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 need your help please do not donate to international organizations they have left the grounds most of these organizations do not cooperate with local organizations which means the money that you're giving the international organizations are not reaching the people that need it if you can please donate to local organizations so that they can actually use the money for um, for what it's needed and for the people that need them and with that i will wrap up this episode uh again thank you so much if you have made it this far thank you so much for for listening to this and for caring uh enough to listen through this whole episode um check out the the episode notes uh for details and uh yeah do reach out to me if you have any comments um anything i can do to also um share anything i can share anything i can give to the like give to you to give to the audience please let me know and um yes uh again uh wishing well sending a lot of strength to the survivors of this these disasters um it all sounds very cheesy but i i i do think of them and pray for them daily. I know that's not enough at all, which is why I am trying to spread the word about these uh, organizations that can help. Um, so please, please, please do the same. Um, yeah. And uh, stay safe. I hope that if you're, if you have been personally affected by these earthquakes, um that you have the that you are surrounded by people who who love you and who show you compassion and uh who can support you in this time in whatever way you, that you need um and uh yes i hope you all stay safe stay warm stay healthy and yeah we'll talk again next month bye